We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, October 6th. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. We're doing part two of our NBA win total over unders. Last week, uh, we ran through the Eastern Conference. Today will, of course, be the Western Conference. James, I'm as fired up for the West as I am for the East. And uh, as always, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Of course. I mean, I I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I've, I've been ready. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you I can always tell like you you sent me the document like weeks in advance. You had everything all all made out, all the all the totals put in there. This is very low maintenance for me. All I have to do uh is make my picks and uh you know, before we get into the Western Conference, you know, fantasy basketball season is is already in full swing for us. You and I took part uh in a pair of drafts yesterday. We got another one coming up tonight. Uh we did the Rotowire Stake League auction yesterday afternoon. That one's always a really fun time and then we did uh, an experts league draft for Sirius XM last night. That one, a little bit more of a traditional draft, uh, you know, stake draft 15 round. Uh, whereas the first one, the stake league, uh, that's an auction. And we added two more teams this year. So that dilutes the pool just a little bit, but uh, without going too deep, you know, we'll, we'll do a full recap of that draft at some point. Uh, how are you feeling about the squad and, and stake league, which I, I don't know how many leagues you're in this year, but for me, I mean, it feels like this is kind of the premier league for us, at least at Rotowire. Yeah, um, this is the fifth year of the Rotowire Stake Basketball League. I have been an eater in three of the four years, and I have never cashed, and I think that's where I'll be again. I think I will be eating and not cashing after <laughs> the events of the auction. Uh, I just – I. I really wish I could have a a mulligan on it because I had this plan all mapped out and then Jokic was going for way less than I thought he should. And so I jumped in to price and force and uh, ended up with Jokic at, uh, what was it, like 72 or something out of 200 bucks. That's what you get for being a cop. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a great lesson. Uh, never be a cop. No, I, I, I wanted James Harden. My plan was to do the James Harden, Rudy Gobert duo, which I ended up doing in our, our uh, other draft yesterday. Mm-hmm. But uh, I jumped in on Jokic, got him, and that kind of changed my entire plan. But um, I think I, I think I'll finish it's sixteen teams. I think I'll finish like fifth or sixth. I, I don't know. I, I don't think I had quite a quite enough dominant uh, buys where because there were just so many buys in the the auction like there always are where it's just like holy crap that was a bargain and mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't get a a ton of those I think I just got fine value for the most part. Well, it's tough when you you got Jokic for seventy four. So for after that, you almost have to sit out for a little bit, at least with the other high price guys. Um, you know, otherwise, you're going to be draining like you know, three quarters of your budget right away. Uh, but as long as Jokic stays healthy and remains the best player in fantasy, like that gives you such a high floor. You got Chris Paul. You know, as long as he doesn't fall off, I mean, that's been a huge bargain the last couple of years. Uh, I, I really wanted to ask you about the two guys you paid twenty seven bucks a piece, two hundred dollar budget in this league for. Jalen Green and Paolo Bancaro, and I, I knew you would get Jalen Green. I, I, I there was no price too high. Like you, if if his price would have gone into like the eighties, I, I know you would have paid it. But Bancaro, I, I knew you were big on Bancaro. I didn't know you were this big on Bancaro. So I would actually say that I got Bancaro for a good price, and I overpaid on Jalen Green. But I, as you said, um. I, like my reputation was on the line. I couldn't, I right. couldn't not buy him for twenty-seven bucks. Uh, you know, I, I, I think he's probably like a sixteen, seventeen, eighteen dollar player. Uh, but I just, I love him so much. He's my favorite player to watch. Um, and on the off chance that he just has just a ridiculous breakout season, it'll be fun to have him on as many teams as possible. But I, I think the the Boncaro one, I, I really think he's going to earn that. Um, the green one was more just kind of a, I want to have my favorite player on my team type of buy. Right. Yeah, it's interesting to look at the the different builds. I mean, some people you know kind of go stars and scrubs. Uh, we, we saw that with with Kob, our man. Uh, you know, kind of stacking his team at the top, and then you know he, he he needs Malik Beasley to step up. You know, he needs Darius Baisley to have a bounce back year. Uh, you know, to, to compete in this league. I, I ended up going with Kawhi as my first buy at, at 36 bucks. I didn't feel great about it. Obviously, games played is always going to be an issue with Kawhi. I wouldn't have gone much higher, but I, I felt like at that price point, it was a reasonable deal. Um, although Paul George went for $2 cheaper. Didn't love to see that. Uh, got Damian Lillard for 45 I, I got your guy, Gobert, for 29 uh, well, that, That's the core of the team. Beyond that, I, I, I kind of had to fill things in, and it, it went good, not great. I mean, the Damian Lillard price was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I would have gone to mid thirties on Rudy pretty easily if I'd been in the market. But like, the thing that I regret the most is just like James Harden going for sixty, Dame Lillard going for under fifty. To me, like I really regret like I, I think I got Jokic at a value but I think I got him at like a five dollar value whereas I think Harden was like a fifteen dollar yeah. value and and Lillard was a fifteen dollar value so um that's that's kind of where my regret lies yeah but my biggest regret is that I somehow had fourteen dollars left over at the end of this auction uh there, there's some chicanery going on towards the end I 
I certainly didn't anticipate it going that way. Like I, I, I got pretty much all the guys I wanted in the late rounds, but I was prepared to pay two to $3 more per player. But then, you know, I'm getting Gary Trent for, for a little bit lower than I expected. I, I, I weirdly thought there would be like a John wall bidding war. Uh, there was not uh, same on guys like Montrez Harrell, Joe Harris. So yeah, in retrospect, it's like, it would have been nice to, you know, throw a few more bucks at, at some other guys throughout the draft. But uh, I don't know. I mean, in a 14 team auction, you're never going to come away feeling like you completely nailed it and you're going to blow away the rest Six, of the field. 16, like, 16 teams. Yeah. We added two. Oh my God. I thought we went from 12 to 14. No, we went to went from 14 to 16. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, this makes me feel even better about it. Okay. All right. I, I, I've completely, uh, just completely out of sorts now on this. All right. Well, in, in that case, yeah, I love my team. I love it. Uh, is it, was there anybody's, I don't know if you have the rosters up, but was there anybody, I know Ken Kreitz, we felt like did a good job in the auction, but were there any other teams that you either loved or hated? I just, I, I'm not uh, going to give anyone the satisfaction of knowing that I love their, their auction. <laughs> uh, I, I did think, I did think Ken did a good job. I mean, I, I liked, I mean, he was the one who got hardened for 60, which I thought yep. was ridiculous. He got Van Vliet I mean, for 35. Yeah. Yeah, That's I mean, I liked his. He he's Ken. Ken will be an eater, which is good. Yeah. Um, so that leaves at least seven spots to eat, and we'll we'll fight for them. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the over unders, uh, and we begin. We'll go alphabetically as always. We begin with the Dallas Mavericks. The win number is forty eight and a half at the DraftKings Sportsbook. This was a fifty two win team last season. Uh, we got a disagreement. Right away, you're going over on 48 and a half. This one was really, really tough for me. I, I, I know it's the first one we're doing, but I, I think there's a case to be made that this was my most difficult decision. I'm going under. I, I don't like what Dallas did this offseason. I, I think they're a worse team than they were last year. But the counterpoint is, you know, is Luka Doncic just good enough at this point that as long as he has four, four NBA players around him, that, you know, this is a 50-win team no matter what. Yeah, me going over is 100% a Luca bet. Uh, basically, like an in shape Luca being sort of in that Jokic, Giannis class of regular season, like lifting a team to 50 wins, basically just by showing up. And he was not in, I mean, well documented that he showed up last year out of shape and kind of played his way into shape. Uh, but then once. Once it was like peak Luca, after a couple of months, they were playing at a pace. You know, they were kind of the Western Conference's Celtics almost at that point. And I think they're a definitely a worse playoff team this year with guys like Wood and with like Hardaway getting the Brunson minutes. But I think uh, I think they're really going to be a a pretty dominant offense in the regular season because I don't think people have fully kind of grasped how much Luca is going to be able to unlock guys like JaVale McGee and Christian Wood. Um, like he, he's just going to throw so many oops to those guys and giving him a big targets like that around the rim. That's not something he's always had, you know I mean? Like, Porzingis was was more of a pick and pop guy. Like there were times when Luca would make Dwight Powell look like this pick and pick and roll monster, you know. So like I think just having guys like McGee and Wood in the regular season is really going to juice the offense. And 
Uh, all the other guys can shoot. Uh, I am concerned that they only have two guys on this team who can dribble. Um, and that's partly why I've been loading up on Spencer Dinwiddie in fantasy is because I just think he is going to have to take on a high enough usage role for him to be fantasy viable because they just don't have anyone else who can run pick and roll or anything like that. So uh, I definitely think this team is flawed come the playoffs, but I'm just betting on Luca being such a monster in the regular season that they go over. Yeah. I don't have too much pushback on that. Like I said, it was a really difficult call and I, I think they're going to be, you know, somewhere in like the 47 to, to 51 range for me. Um, I, I don't quite see them eclipsing last year's number, but at the same time, like you said, this is a team that didn't really hit its stride until mid season. I mean, they were 15 and 17, uh, at one point last year, uh, at Christmas day. And from then on, you know, turned it on and, and got over 50 wins. So you kind of, maybe if you think the roster is a little bit worse than last year, sure. But they probably also don't start 500, you know, by Christmas day. So, uh, agree to disagree on that one. The Denver Nuggets. 49 and a half is the number. This was a 48 win team last year. This is the easiest over uh, we've had thus far, including the Eastern conference for me. I I'm almost suspicious of, of why this number sits at 49 and a half. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not the easiest one for me. It's top three. It's probably my third easiest over uh, of all 30 teams. Um basically a lot of the same logic as with Luca. Like I think Jokic is Jokic is more of a track record than Luca does, but I think Jokic is just too good. Um and I think they've really this might be his best roster if you get a fully I guess we're probably not getting like Michael Porter of you know a year and a half ago, but if you just kinda get like ninety percent of that player and ninety percent of Peak Jamal Murray with Jokic and with this supporting cast, it might be the best team Jokic has ever had. And I, I mean, I think Jokic basically would have to get injured for this to not go over. Like, you would have to miss 15 plus mm-hmm. games. And he's never really done that. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. It's pretty easy over. Right. And the other side of that is, you know, oh, what happens if Michael Porter and Jamal Murray? aren't themselves or they're, you know, they're injured again. It's like, well, we already saw that last year and they missed yeah. this number by one win. So yeah, I, I, I think this number could be 51, 52. And yeah, I, I would still probably go over. I mean, having Jamal Murray back, like Monte Morris, fine backup point guard. There's a huge gap between Monte Morris and Jamal Murray. And, you know, like you said, I, I think this is probably the best overall roster that they've had in the Jokic era. I, I don't love that Deandre Jordan, it looks like he's going to be the backup center. Uh, that that to me is a bit of a liability, but I, I kind of like, you know, like Will Barton gave that team a lot of good minutes, but bringing in KCP, I think that's maybe a slightly better fit. Um, you know, I, I think they're, they're really expecting Bones Highland to take a step forward this season. That seems very possible. And then adding Bruce Brown, like I, I got it. I didn't like love Bruce Brown on the nets. I don't really understand what he does, but he's effective. I don't, it, it, it doesn't always make sense, but he could play multiple spots and it's just kind of a nice like utility man uh, to have on this roster. And, you know, you said with Michael Porter, I, like it's not completely out of the question that he could come back and look like that guy yeah. from two years ago. Like, I think as long as he's healthy, he's going to be that guy to me. It's like an all or nothing situation. Like, I don't, I don't think he's going to be a diminished version of himself. I think he's either on the court and he's really good or he's just not playing at all. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I think he's, 
it's it's kind of all or nothing in terms of how good of a shooter he is. Like he's either going to be that just dead eye forty percent shooter, or he's going to be the guy he was for like the first ten days of last year before he got shut down. But uh, just his mobility, I think it. You know, he could be somebody that people really go after on defense, like that type of thing. I just think his mobility might be kind of in question a little bit. Um, but, like, I think what you said about Bruce Brown, um, like, that was an awesome pickup. And I know a lot of people have, have mentioned that, but, like, adding him and KCP – like Bruce Brown and Jokic are going to play so well off of each other on just sort of short roll stuff, like around the, the basket that he used to do in Brooklyn with, you know, way worse uh, partners. And I think Jokic has gotten to that point where it's, it's kind of like Steve Nash in the like Suns Suns era, Steve Nash, where like these role players can come in and Jokic just actualizes the very, very best version of them. And I think you're going to maybe see, uh, you know, guys like Monty Morris and Will Barton not look as good away from Jokic. And I think you're going to see guys like KCP and Bruce Brown look better than ever. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Golden State Warriors, 53-win team a year ago. Of course, the reigning NBA champions. 51 and a half is the number for Golden State. Uh, I like the over here. I like the over. I, I I could see Golden State maybe backing off a little bit during the regular season. Uh, you know, Curry's turning 35 next year. Obviously, Draymond, Clay, those guys getting up there as well. But I also think this team is as deep as it's ever been. And 
while there's a drop off, if Curry misses time or, or Clay misses time or Draymond sits, you know, you have Jonathan Kaminga, you've got Moses Moody, you know, they added Dante DiVincenzo, obviously Jordan Poole uh, ready to step up. I, I think, I, I think this team could go over, even if, you know, some of those key guys end up missing time. This is, this is probably the most suspicious line to me of all the lines. And it just, I'm going over, but I don't think I'd bet it. It just, it feels like a trap. Um, like it's, it's hard to construct a case for the under, but like the Warriors are such a public team and they just won the title and you're getting a full season of clay. Right. And hopefully better health from Draymond, who's going to be very motivated to win defensive player of the year. Like it's, it's tough to construct a case for the under, but this line is just so suspicious. Like I, I, uh, man, I don't know. I I think they're going to really like the non Draymond pieces will definitely be on cruise control. They might do some more experimenting. Like part part of why I loved them last year was the data from when Wiseman was not on the court the prior year. Like they were this awesome team whenever James Wiseman wasn't on the court the year before. And then they were terrible when he was on the court and he wasn't on the court at all last year. So is he going to screw things up as they try to develop him? Same thing with Jonathan Kaminga. Like, maybe that's sort of the path to this under where the Warriors just don't care at all about, you know, getting the, you know, the two seed or the one seed. Maybe they're just fine being the four seed and trying to be healthy and and develop these young guys. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's the path to the under, but it's just a really suspicious line to me. Well, it's also worth noting that we don't have a ton of really high lines this year. You know, the, the highest is Boston at 53 and a half. So it's not like Golden State is is like five, six, seven wins behind these other teams. I mean, that's still good for second in the West behind Phoenix at 52 and a half. I'll tell you what, I like Golden State to win more games uh, than Phoenix, but they're, they're right there. You know, they're at the top They're They're, you know, it's Milwaukee, it's Boston, it's Phoenix, it's Golden State. They're, they're in that tier. So I get it, but yeah, you would think I, you laid out a good case, you know, like being a public team coming off of the title run, usually they get a, a two or three win bump and it seems like that's not factored in this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then, I mean, you have, you have Draymond and Jordan Poole already uh, coming to loggerheads. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you for mentioning that. I, I, I love, by the way, the language <laughs> with how this was reported and you know, this, this was yesterday at the time that we're recording now, uh, like none, none of the official reports said punch. It was like Draymond struck Jordan Poole with force with his arm. Like you can't just say he punched him. Like for some reason they're like, don't, don't say he punched him. Just say he, he forcefully struck him. Uh, it, I, I have no idea what's going to become of that. Like they said, he's going to be, you know, there might be punishment coming. I mean, to me, that seems like, like a one game suspension max. Like, I, I don't think this is going to be like a, a Yudoka situation where, you know, like they, they just go seemingly like way overboard um, and, and he misses time. But I don't know, man. I, I saw people joking last night, you know, about about Draymond and the Warriors and whatnot. And like, I, I somehow feel like this is going to end with the Lakers making a horrendous trade to bring Draymond in to play with LeBron. <laughs> I really think it's going to happen. Yeah, I just it don't would, know. It would be they... the ultimate end of LeBron's like delusional team building. I think they'd love to make a horrendous trade to bring Draymond in, but I don't think the Warriors like what could they possibly compel the Warriors to trade Draymond for, you know? 
I well, I think the basically the package that they're trying to sell to Indiana, or maybe you make it a three-team deal. Like I feel like Draymond is already like laying the path for you know almost forcing his way out of Golden State. You know, like the contract situation is coming around the corner. It's like it would almost be an easy out for the Warriors to to just like they don't want to be the the side that you know is too cheap well, they, to pay to pay a franchise legend. But if Draymond basically forces his way out, here here's your your golden opportunity to send him to the Lakers to to play out you know the the final five bad years of his career. I just don't see them taking. I mean, that's basically you're you're making your current team significantly worse just to avoid the tension with Draymond. They're not winning a title without Draymond. So, like, if, as soon as you trade Draymond for Westbrook and those picks, you're punting on this season. And I just don't think they would do that. Like, I think I I don't think Draymond's going to finish his career as a Warrior, and I think he will exit. Uh, within the next, I don't know, like 18, 24 months, uh, one way or another. But I just, I can't see them, like unless Steph got hurt or something and like it was just clear they weren't winning a title with or without Draymond, there's just no way they'd send him out the door for a player they would send home in Russell Westbrook. Okay, well, the deal that I saw on Twitter was, and I, I didn't realize this was this was Bill Simmons who tweeted it, but uh, it is as I now look it up. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so the Lakers, the Lakers get Draymond Green and Buddy Heald, the Pacers, also Westbrook, and the two and the two first round picks, and the Warriors get Miles Turner. Um, yeah, I just take, take your time. I don't. I just don't. Again, like Draymond is just so important to their championship odds, like. I like Miles Turner. I think there's lots of teams that would benefit from subbing out their center for Miles Turner. But Miles Turner is like, he's not a Warriors style player. Um, like he, like he would, you know, like when Kelly Oubre was a Warrior, like that didn't go very well. Uh, I don't think Miles Turner Poppy? would go very well. <laughs> No, I, I don't think so either. I think, and you know, obviously this is pie in the sky stuff, but I, I think the implication is that the Warriors would would not willingly trade Draymond, but it, it would be a, an escalation of the situation where Draymond is, you know, he's punching guys on the team, for example, or you know, openly, you know, openly <laughs> talking about how he needs this contract. Like I, I'm saying, like they could they could basically at some point sell this as, look, hey, this guy's running himself out of town. Like we 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 wanted to keep him, but you know, he, he doesn't want to play for us anymore. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I yeah, I, I, I think it's going to get bad. Like, I do think this – like, I think tensions will be high. Um, well, okay, there, there's a couple ways this could go. Like, so he could either just be a malcontent and try to force their hand to trade him, or he could just go out there and have a dominant – like, because he was going to win the defensive player of the year last year if he didn't get hurt. Like, he could just have that season this year. Yeah, win defensive player of the year, and then the Warriors are just in an impossible spot where they basically have to pay him. Then. Yeah, true. I, I I think he's going to go that avenue. Um, things could get ugly. I definitely wouldn't rule that out. Uh, but I just they're not winning. They like I just can't see them trying to diverge from winning another title this year, which I feel like a Draymond Green trade would would mean. Things would have to get really bad for that to happen. So I, I agree with you there, but we'll, we'll see it, uh, what direction it heads. I would say 
Uh, pretty unlikely that Draymond is traded, especially to the Lakers, but uh, you never know. I, I, I think you, you're maybe underrating the Draymond-LeBron bond at this point. Those guys are brothers. No, I am not. Brothers. I am not underrating it. I'm not underrating <laughs> it. Um, All right, we got to move on. We got to move on. No more Draymond-LeBron talk. This is going to go way too far. Uh, The Houston Rockets. We're going to have to make up time here now. Uh, The Houston Rockets, 20-win team last year. 23-and-a-half is the number. We are both going under. I actually kind of like this team. I I thought Jabari Smith looked really impressive in the first preseason game. He looked much more confident, much smoother than he did in summer league. I was getting getting some like big Paul George type of vibes from from just the way that he was playing. Uh, But... I don't know that Houston necessarily wants to win games. And as long as they're starting and playing Kevin Porter 30 to 35 minutes per night, uh, that is going to help them in the Wembenyama sweepstakes. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning under here. Um, I'll just say this though. I, I wouldn't bet any of the super low lines in the West. And there's like, there's four of them, right? There's, there's Houston, there's the Thunder, there's the Spurs, there's the Jazz. Uh, I just think we know those four teams are going to win between like 20 and 27 games. And I just, I wouldn't bet it. I, I just think it's the lines are too good on those those ones. But if, if forced to choose on the Rockets, I would go under. I, I think they're going to be a really fun team. But yeah, yeah, I think this is, they're still a year or possibly two years away from, from really pushing for anything. And there's not a lot of depth here. Uh, They're one of those teams that like beyond their top six or seven, it's a lot of names that you don't recognize. It's a lot of like borderline G leaguers. I think they're going to dump Eric Gordon at some point. Not that that really is going to affect anything, but you know, that's one more veteran out the door. Um, You know, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's a team that I think can, can play out the season and you're not, they're, they're not going to be criticized for for tanking in the same way that maybe Utah and OKC will, but I think they could just play out the season as normal and still have a pretty good chance uh, to feel good about their odds in the lottery. Agreed. All right, the LA Clippers, forty-two win team last season, fifty-two and a half is the number for the LA Clippers. I, I get the sense that I'm lower on the Clippers than you are, uh, but nonetheless, I will reluctantly take the over on fifty-two and a half. <laughs> Um, but I'll, I'll let you make the case. I, I, I think I'm a little, like I said, I'm a little lower on their high end pieces. I'm a little lower on their depth pieces, but at the end of the day, I mean, this is still a, a one of the three or four best rosters in the entire league. Well, do you, so I think they're the deepest team in the league. Do you disagree with that? Uh, yeah, no, no. I, I think, I mean, they're, they're on the list for sure. Yeah. I'll, we could say they're the deepest, I guess. It's like, to me, I, I mean, the, yeah, I, I'm not yeah. a big Terrence Mann guy. I'm not a big Marcus Morris guy. I also think Nick Batum is just begging to fall off a cliff at some point here. Uh, they also don't really have a backup center beyond Zubac who, you know, I think they're coming around on him, but they still feel like they, they need somebody else there. Um, and then, you know, Reggie Jackson and John Wall are your point guards. Like I, there's a lot of names that sound really good, but they're, I, I kind of have question marks about a lot of those guys. I think they have, you know, like Kawhi and Paul George, they're going to play probably 58 games a piece. Uh, or at least you hope they play 58 games a piece if you're the Clippers. And then they just have more wing depth like they can withstand those guys missing 20 to 25 games because the guys that step into the lineup then 
are guys who would start on many other teams. Guys like Norm Powell, um, you know, Morris. Morris isn't as big of a like. I don't want to be labeled as someone who's high on Marcus Morris. I, I not factoring him in a ton. Um, Batum, like towards the end of the year, was that the was that the play in game or there? I forget which game it was. Like the last Clippers game of the year, Batum was playing some of the best defense I've ever seen him play. Um, they have this the best sort of five out lineup potential of of maybe any team in the league. Um, it's just, you know, Kawhi Leonard, when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were healthy in 2021, uh, they were just unstoppable uh, when they were out there. And I'm just betting that they can go around 500 in the games that those guys don't play, maybe a little below 500. But like John Wall, I think is a great fit. Um, Reggie Jackson. I mean, getting Reggie Jackson to sort of buy into a, a lesser role might be an issue, but I just think that, that, that might be the single biggest issue team. this team faces. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, so with John Wall, like, how sure are we that John Wall can be, you know, a productive, well above average point guard versus like the same position that Demarcus Cousins has been in for these last couple of years, where he signs with a team. The team talks themselves into him being a productive guy. And then a month later, you know, they don't renew his second 10 day deal and and that's it. I guess I'm not really worried about his performance. Um, I'm just worried about his durability. I mean, it's, yeah, it's uh, a very, you know, we haven't seen many issues like this where a player is just not played a lot because the team he was on was tanking and didn't want him to play. Um, I think he's well-rested. I think he looks good from what I've seen. Um, I think he fits perfectly into their style of play where it's just the ball's moving, guys are cutting, like anyone can initiate the offense, that type of thing. Um, I'm just – I'm really interested to see how they do their sort of strategic days off for guys because I feel like they might have just a very intricate plan of like maybe already knowing – which days every guy's going to get the day off because I feel like they just have all this depth and it'll just be like, all right, John Wall and Paul George aren't playing today. Kawhi Leonard and Marcus Morris aren't playing tomorrow and like that type of thing. Um, and I think, I think if Wall holds up, I think he'll be great for them in like a 24 minute a game type of role. No, for sure. For sure. If he holds up, I think that's a huge addition for them. I think he's probably an upgrade overall. Uh, and what they've gotten from Reggie Jackson, who is just you know a roller coaster game to game. I love the Clippers in the playoffs. I think when you, you know, it's going to be a really tough team to beat in a seven game series when you don't have to worry about Kawhi not playing and you can run him out there for thirty eight to forty two minutes. Uh, I think they're going to be really really tough. And and he looks great so far. He looks stronger. Um, so I, I think they're going to be great in the playoffs. I, I just they're not a team that's going to push it. You know I, I think they're they're fine if they're if they're the sixth seed in the West and they're healthy going into the playoffs. That's totally fine with with them. So, you know, I'm going over, but I I don't feel good about it. With the NFL kicking off and the NBA season nearing, today is the best time to try Caesars Sportsbook. Anyone who's at least 21 years old and in a licensed Caesars Sportsbook state can create a new account and redeem the Caesars Sportsbook promo code ROTO15 
That's R-O-T-O-1-5, ROTO-15. The promo code gives new users a risk-free first bet up to $1,500. Again, visit Caesars.com sportsbooks or download the Caesars Sportsbook app today. And don't forget to use our promo code ROTO-15. That's ROTO-15 when you sign up. On the complete other end of the spectrum, we have the <laughs> LA Lakers. Oh, man. A 33-win team last year. 45 and a half is the number. I will say it for the second year in a row, the odds makers have showed you know a, a shocking amount of restraint with the Lakers. Like a, a few years ago, I feel like this would this number would have been like 57. Um, and here we are at 45 and a half. And I'm going under, man. I'm I'm just so down on this team. Um, yeah, you know, I was watching them last night. They had a had a preseason game against Phoenix, and it the, the, the thought came into my mind like this team is relying a frightening amount on Kendrick Nunn this season. Well, the, the line for the Lakers, um, I don't know if you've heard the tidbit from Kevin Pelton about how, like, over the last 10 years, they've averaged seven fewer wins than their over-under. Um, like, the line for the Lakers is just where do we have to put the line for enough Lakers fans to bang the over so that all the sharks who bang the under don't, like, bankrupt us. And uh, they've decided it's 45 and a half. And I think that's a, that's a good line because you're going to get a lot of LeBron and Laker fans thinking that that's a disrespectful line somehow. But I just, I struggle to see how they get to 46 wins. Like no, no player like AD or LeBron comes close to like 75 or 80 games anymore. So like kind of a best case scenario for those guys to me is like, 68 games but even if you got 68 games a piece from LeBron and AD I still don't think they would get this over just because of how bad the supporting cast is so I think if you're betting the over you are betting on them making that Pacers trade ASAP and I don't know I just I don't know when that's going to happen um, even if they made that trade if AD misses half the season like he usually does they might still go under so I, I love this yeah. under obviously yeah I mean you pointed to like four different reasons that they could go under and chances are one of those is going to happen either LeBron's going to miss 25 games or AD is going to miss 25 games maybe like last year they both miss a ton of time um, I mean they, they had other injuries across the roster that that certainly didn't help I, I don't think it was going to change the bottom line um, but you know, I mean, losing a depth piece like Kendrick Dunn, that, that forced them to play guys that they didn't want to play. I don't really like any of the ancillary moves that they made, you know, guys like Damian Jones, Thomas Bryant, uh, Pat Bev, Dennis Schroeder. None of those guys are real difference makers to me. You didn't um, like the, you didn't like the shooter pickup. I didn't like the shooter pickup. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't love the Lonnie Walker for the mid-level pickup. That was just a preposterous deal to hand out. Um, yeah, clutch, clutch sports did well. I'll say that they, they, they got a bunch of their guys signed to the Lakers, but I don't know if the Lakers uh, really made out on those deals. Yeah, man. I mean, it, they, they definitely could go over, right? I mean, if there is a, there is a, a world in which, you know, AD stays healthy, like LeBron is still LeBron when he's healthy. He's still really good. Um, he's obviously no longer capable of just dragging any roster to 50 wins like he used to be. But, um, I mean, 45 and a half, it's a, a pretty disrespectful number for a LeBron team, but um, like you said, I mean, a, a shockingly realistic number, I think, given where well, the Lakers are at. And I, even if they make the, the healed and, and Turner trade, it's like, 
I, I don't know. It's not like you're you're adding a top ten player there. It's like that makes you better, but it's, I don't know if it's a trade that all of a sudden you know you you go eighteen and two over your next twenty games. So I think the like, I think that would be a really good trade for them um, from a basketball like personnel wise standpoint. Yes. Um, like the healed piece specifically, there's no player on the like LeBron's by far the best shooter on this roster, and if that's the case, every team's just going to be able to load the paint and just dare you to let these terrible shooters shoot threes. But if you have a guy of Heald's caliber out there, then it's a legitimate stretching aspect they don't have at all. And then that opens things up for LeBron and AD. And like the big question to me is just, is AD, is bubble AD ever coming back? Because that's the only way that this team even with like a really good trade to get pieces that fit really, really well, they're still not a title contender if AD is the player that he was the last two years. I don't think that guy's coming back. I, I don't think the shooting is ever coming back. Um, it was I don't know if it was just a, a hot season for AD or what, but I don't think you can ever count on that. Um, and really, that's that's kind of what changed everything for them was AD being able to stretch the floor and, and hit just – Tough shot after tough shot after tough shot throughout that playoff run. Um, I mean, they could still be. That's the thing is, like, even if you know Pelicans AD comes back, like that still makes yeah. them a really good team, but but in a different way. Like I, th- I, this feels like the the fifth time in like seven years now that, despite LeBron always having the best success when you build the the kind of four out team around him with shooters, for whatever reason, like the the Cavs at the end of, of, of that run didn't want to do it. The Lakers didn't want to do it, and and part of this, of course, is LeBron, but. You know this whole idea that's like oh, I don't want to have I don't want to handle the ball that much. We need other playmakers. Whatever what ends up happening inevitably on any team that he's on, LeBron ends up handling the ball almost 100 percent of the time that he's on the court. Like there's just disconnect there uh, in the logic. And I mean, I, I think they're going to be making that trade at some point. I, I think they're going to get off to a slow start. I think the pressure is going to build. Um, the one thing they have in their back pocket, I guess, is they won't have the LeBron. You know, will he or won't he resign? Cloud hanging over them, so they they do have like a, a shred of leverage in that regard. But I, I think this is going to be a really ugly start and they're going to be under a, a tremendous amount of pressure to do something. I agree. All right. The Memphis Grizzlies 56 win team last year, numbers down to 48 and a half. Uh, we're split on this one. You're going over. I'm going under. Yeah. Um, I think I'm just, I'm trying to learn from underestimating this team uh, which I think I've done each of the last two years. Um, they, they just they try harder than everyone else, or they they try harder than all of the other good teams. Uh, and I think that that adds up in the regular season, and it, it's a tough one for me. I mean, I, I don't think it's a slam dunk over, mostly just because the Western Conference is so much better than it than it has been um, with all these awesome players coming back. But um, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like Jaron Jackson is trending towards an earlier return than we thought. Um, I think Desmond Bain is still underrated. Um, He could, he could get even better this year. Uh, I think Zaire Williams is kind of a, a sneaky late round fantasy option. Um, like he could he could take a leap. 
I just I, I don't really want to bet against this Memphis regular season infrastructure anymore because it just it seems like they kind of have a machine going there. Um, even with like like Ja, it's not like Ja played seventy three games last year. Um, they still got the, the two seed, and they brought back Tyus Jones, which I think was huge for them through the games that Ja does miss. So um, it's not as deep a team as as it was last year, but. I think they, they kind of have sort of a, a recipe that really works in the regular season. Yeah, they do. And they, they seem confident in it. I mean, they were okay letting a few pieces go and, and kind of you know getting their guys in the draft. Jake LaRavia, um, you know, David Roddy, guys like that who seem like really good fits, smart basketball players. I, I like that. I mean, they went 20 and five without John Morant in the lineup last year. And it, it was just weird. I think that's an anomaly. I mean, it would, obviously it's not like they're better without John Morant, but if, if Morant misses any time and I, I think the way that he plays, he could probably be penciled in for like 10 to 15 missed games mm-hmm. at some point. They're not going to go 20 and five again without him. And I don't know. It just feels like that pretty much everything went right for them in the regular season last year. And I don't really see that happening again. I, I think they could struggle early on without Jaron Jackson. And I know, like you said, he, he does seem to be ahead of schedule, but he also was, you know, right on track for that meniscus injury a couple of years ago and then ended up missing almost the entire year. So like, I don't, I don't really trust him yeah. from a health perspective. Like I like the Grizzlies. Like I'm, I am personally rooting for the Grizzlies to go over. I think they're one of the most fun teams to watch, but it, it just feels like this is a team that is due for some regression. So that's my main reason for going under. I hear you. All right. Minnesota 46 wins last year, 48 and a half is the number. This is another over that I, I just hit without even thinking about it too much. Not quite as much of a no-brainer uh, as the Denver Nuggets, but it's up there. It's a close call for me between the Lakers under and the Wolves over, for which bet okay. I like most in the West. That was on call. But I, I – like on the Eastern Conference pod, I basically said take all the money you're thinking about betting on these over-unders – and just put it on the Sixers over. And that's how I feel about the Wolves over. I just – it's so funny listening to people analyze this team because they they make all the correct analysis about how well the pieces fit and everything like that. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, this could be like a top-five offense and a top-five defense, and I think they're going to finish six in the West, you know? Like, it's just people analyze them correctly and then get to the wrong endpoint of how good they're going to be. Like, you have four um, or like three potential All-NBA guys on the same okay. roster. Which I was going to have to stop you if you were including D'Lo. No. Um, but you have, you have the – the three all NBA calendar guys, like assuming Edwards takes even just like a modest leap in year three, which almost always happens with a prospect of his caliber. And there's been reports that suggest like he's, uh, you know, a, a better passer than he was last year. Um, I love how uh, D'Angelo Russell and Rudy Gobert fit offensively because like Russell is is a really good pick and roll distribute distributor, but it was kind of wasted on Towns because Towns just wanted to pop, and Gobert gives him an awesome lob finishing threat in the pick and roll. 
Um, they can give Gobert the four out spacing when he's in, and I just think I just think they're going to kill teams. I, like I think people like twelve teams, twelve games into the season, I think people are going to just be talking about the Timberwolves. Like, holy crap, we didn't yep. think they were going to be this good. Um, like I, I know there are going to be problems like when they run into like a Clippers or a Warriors in the postseason. Uh, but I wouldn't even say they have a, a 0% chance to win the title. Like, I think this could really, really click. And I think Jaden McDaniels is the perfect fifth piece because he just doesn't need the ball at all. And he can do all the things he's good at without being asked too much of. And mm. I love the fact that they can go with um, Kyle Anderson and Towns when Gobert's off the court. Um, I, just, I just think it's a really, really good fit offensively and defensively. I'm glad you brought up Kyle Anderson. I love that signing. Um, it does feel like they could maybe use one more reliable veteran. Like if they could, if they could add like a Will Barton type, I would really love this roster, but even some of the bit guys that they added off the scrap heap, like Austin rivers. I don't know if he's given you 17 minutes. That's fine. Brid Forbes, you know, always good to have a sharpshooter. Uh, they bought low on PJ Dozier coming off of the injury. I mean, he, he a couple of years ago looked like an ascending young piece. So I think they're in really good shape, and and you mentioned it. Like I, I have my concerns about this team in the playoffs for sure. I, I would not pick them to advance probably past the second round, but we'll see. I mean, for all we know, maybe they'll burn through the regular season and we'll feel differently. But I think this is a team that is constructed specifically to go scorched earth during the regular season, and it's a franchise that has no reason to pull back. You know, it's not like they're coming off of right. three deep yeah. playoff runs and it's it's title or bust. Like, I mean, the Timberwolves winning. 57 games getting the one seed in the West. I mean, that would be the equivalent of winning the title for them based on how the last two decades have gone. Yeah, no, I think the, the two teams in the entire league that probably are the most desperate for regular season wins this year are probably the Timberwolves and the Kings. And like exactly what you just said, the Timberwolves, they will feel vindicated for this Rudy Gobert trade, which they've heard all offseason about how much they overpaid him. They will feel vindicated if they just get like a top two or three seed this year. Like forget what they do in the playoffs. Like them getting home court advantage in the first round and maybe a top two seed. Like they're going to absolutely throw a parade for that. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is like every time anyone talks about like the Gobert fit in sort of a, a negative way as far as their offense is concerned, just remember, this was a team that was an elite offense in the second half last year with Jared Vanderbilt in that role. And Gobert, you know, say what you want about him offensively, he's a much better offensive player than Jared Vanderbilt. So, like, I just don't buy that the offense is going to have a major step back. I mean, I think losing Beasley and losing Beverly in terms of three-point shooting mm -hmm. might hurt a little bit. but. Um, yeah, I, this team is incredibly motivated to blow past this this over-under. The New Orleans Pelicans, 36 wins last season, uh, came on strong at the end of the year, got into the play-in, uh, you know, pushed the Phoenix Suns in round one. Uh, Zion Williamson comes back. Uh, the number jumps up to 44 and a half for the Pelicans. This one was really tough for me. Uh, I'm going over just for the sake of debate. I know you're going under. I wish the number was like 42 and a half. 44 and a half is a lot to ask. I think this is the toughest line for me. Because um, I, I could see them winning. Like, if it all just clicks, 
they could win 50 games. Um, like, I just think the Zion piece is – it's so complicated to go a full year without him. You have, you know, Ingram ascending into this all-star role and you have C.J. McCollum coming in and all those pieces kind of fitting. And then you take Zion, who, like, is probably up there with, you know, Giannis or Ben Simmons in terms of just – completely changing the way you have to do things on offense and defense, right? Like he's not, you can't just plug and play Zion Williamson, right? Like your, your, your defense takes a massive hit. Your offense gets a massive boost, but then the players who are losing those touches have to be okay with it. Like Brandon Ingram has to be okay with being a less prolific player this year than he was last year. Uh, I think CJ will be fine with it, but, um, you you also just have a lot of young talent on this team that deserves to play, and it's not all going to be able to play as much as it wants. So, I just think it's a it's a really tough coaching job ahead for Willie Green. Um, maybe he's up for it. Maybe maybe Zion is somehow uh, not like one of the worst defenders at his position, uh, like he was last time we saw him. But it's it's just such a complicated player to add into a mix that was really clicking towards the end of last season. Yeah, it is. And it, there's almost this franchise obligation to let Zion be Zion. Like you, you know, you mentioned like Brandon Ingram having to take a step back. You're not going to go to Zion Williamson and be like, all right, pal, you're, you're the third option now, you know, let, let CJ and, and Brandon Ingram take care of business here. Like the way Zion plays, you, you kind of have to let him be the man. And you know, the high end version of that is really high. Uh, but we'll see. I, I think defensively, I, I'm actually relatively optimistic about Zion. I think he's going to be in much better shape. I, I think he kind of realizes that, you know, having now sat out for a full year and watched this team, like th- there's going to, there's got to be more accountability, I think on that end. And I, I think now that they've had a small taste of success, um, that's going to be somewhat of a motivating factor, you know, to, to kind of make sure that there's not a, a dramatic fall off. But I, I think this team has a ton of really good depth. You know, you kind of forget like Larry Nance is still on this team. He, he felt like he was hurt all of last year. Never really got to see him at full strength. Um, I mean, Jackson Hayes has developed into like a reasonable backup center. You still got Jose Alvarado. Uh, hopefully they just part ways with Devontae Graham at some point, you know, unless he's okay, just playing like 15 minutes off the bench. But yeah, I think the, the Ingram Zion, I wouldn't even say relationship, but just like, the, I guess like the on court relationship, like how that, whether, whether or not that clicks or not, I think determines if they hit this. Yeah. I mean, one guy that I got in both of our drafts yesterday was Herb Jones. Mm-hmm. And the reason I am so bullish on him for fantasy is because I just think he has to be out there like 34 minutes a game. Yeah. Basically, but he's he's there to call bridges. Yeah. Like he, he needs to be out there. Otherwise their defense is just dreadful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Valanchunas and Zion Williamson as your front court pairing defensively is about as bad as it gets. So, I just think Herb's going to really get all he can eat in terms of minutes, which should be pretty good for his uh, steals and blocks numbers. The Oklahoma City Thunder, a 24-win team last season. 23.5 is the number for OKC. This is an, an auto-under for me. <laughs> Not even a whole lot to discuss here. I think we know where yeah. we're going. I just – I mean – 
again, I, I think it's such a low line that I don't, I wouldn't bet it with confidence because we just, we don't know what, where these teams are going to be kind of coalescing because they're all going to be tanking as hard as they can, like over the final six weeks. But is the number they got to get to 24? Is it 25? Is it 22? Like, it's just, it's tough to say. I, I will say my favorite, uh, my favorite rookie sleeper in the entire league is Jalen Williams. Uh, and I think there's a chance that he could really have a monster year, especially with Shea banged up to start the year. There's a chance that he's the number one option for the final 35 games of the year. I, I think he's, I think at the end of the year, it's going to be a legitimate debate whether Williams or Giddy is the better prospect in that backcourt. Really? Okay. I, I, I don't know if I'm quite that high. We got to see him first, but I, I think he's going to have plenty of opportunities, right? I mean, I think, I mean, the, the main implication here is that OKC will do everything it can to make sure it's in that bottom three, because I, I think the Chet Holmgren injury basically gave them the green light to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Sam Presti's already said on record that he's okay just kind of doing what he's done uh, yeah. again. So I, this will be the last time, I think, unequivocally. Like, this is the last <laughs> This is the last full-on tank year for them. Uh, and next yeah. year they might be the league pass team of all league pass teams. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they're going to be well under, like, 27 wins. I'm just not quite sure how, how much under. Yeah, Presti issued that press release, and all it said is, what are you going to do about it? My Uh, bosses have told me I'm allowed to tank again this year, so there you go. Uh, All right, Uh, Phoenix Suns, (laughs) 52.5 is the number for the Suns. Uh, 64-win team last season. Uh, This is a reasonable number. I mean, an 11.5 win drop for this team. Um, Again, the odds makers showing just an insane amount of restraint here. It's low enough that I I think the Suns could take a a notable step back and still go over as long as Chris Ball stays healthy. But uh, the vibes in Phoenix, James, uh, they are not good (laughs) at this time. Yeah, it's kind of like the Hornets line in the East where – like you're just very eager to hammer the under, but they set it at such a low number that you have to think about it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, it's a reflection of of the times. So I I believe that Chris Paul is going to have a another really good year, um, as evidenced by me buying him in the stake league last night. But did notice um, that? Like he. He's just such a, a freak um, in terms of how he takes care of his body and the chip on his shoulder. Like, he might still have one of the biggest chips on his shoulder of any player in the league. And he knows that he was uh, embarrassed in the playoffs uh, last year multiple times by multiple players. And I just Does really he Because he, he always pulls he always pulls the oh well, I was actually hurt card like is he actually embarrassed <laughs> I, I never I can never tell <laughs> I'm sick of it um well okay so they the the Mavs basically figured out that he does not like taking spot up threes and they just dared him to pass up open spot up threes and he did. But I think this year he's going to adjust and be willing to take those shots. Um, my biggest questions are with like 
what type of um, malcontent scale are we talking about here with DeAndre Ayton? Uh, what happens with this Jay Crowder situation, which is like borderline unprecedented for a player of his caliber to demand a trade just because he's no longer starting. Uh, but they, they need him. Like they can't just trade him for like a draft pick. Uh, he's one of their six or seven best players. So like, those are the biggest questions to me. Like I think Booker will bring it. I think Paul will bring it. I think Bridges will be fine. Uh, I think Cam Johnson will be a good fantasy option. Um, but just what Aiton does, what ends up happening with the Crowder thing, and then the fact that the rest of the West is so much better. And they won so many of their games last year in clutch situations. So they're they're going to give back like seven wins no matter what. It's just a matter of what are they getting from Aiton, what happens with Crowder. The Crowder thing is very strange. I don't really know how this ends. I mean, you're not... Like I don't even know what like what what's like straight up value for Jay Jay Crowder at this point. Like are you are you getting one of the Morris brothers back? Like is that what we're looking at? I just don't I don't I don't see where where this is going. And even if you would get draft capital, it's like you're not you're getting what like a heavily protected first at best. Um, like Jay Crowder is it's kind of a, a very specific type of player at this point, and there's only a handful of teams that I think that would really be able to use him. And he was a really good fit for them. Like I don't I don't think they're going to be able to fill that void. And I mean they need. You know, you said you 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 think Chris Paul is another healthy season in him. They absolutely need that because this is a team that has zero depth beyond its top five. And all of a sudden, you you take Jay Crowder out of that. Like, who's even the sixth man for this team right now? Like, is it is it Landry <laughs> Shamit? Is it Tory Craig? Is it Dario Saric? Like, that's a serious question. No, it's it's really bad. Um, yeah, I'm I'm feeling more and more confident with this under the more we talk about it. Um, yeah. They're in, they're in just such a tough spot because, like, if, it's crazy to say, but if they trade Crowder, they might as well just, like, trade CP3 and just kind of do a mini, like, a one-year rebuild or something because it's just, like, yeah, what man. are you – the I don't line know. is so thin for them. Like, they, they're not on the level of the Warriors or the Clippers no. to me. So – no. They They're missed their window. Really this is an all-time, an all-time yep. missed their window team. Like, like there's been so many other teams that'll lose, and then they either, you know, completely change the team and they're back, or they're young enough that you can make another run at it. Like, I, I, I can't really remember that many finals losers where two years later it just feels like that you're like the same team is there, and you're like they have no shot. They just have no shot. It, it's, and I shouldn't say no shot. I mean, they still do technically, I guess, but it, it just feels like like they're never going to have a better chance than they had against Milwaukee two years ago, or even last year when they were the runaway best team. Like it's, it's hard to like, you're never going to get back into that situation. It's, it's honestly the same way that I felt about the Packers the last two years. I don't want to go too deep on that, but it's like, (laughs) and and the other thing with Phoenix is this is a group of players that the only thing that they're thinking about is getting back to the finals, right? Like the last thing they want to do is go hard for 82 games. Like this is a fast forward to the playoffs. We need to get our revenge. Like I don't see them pushing to win 60 again. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, they're kind of like the Utah jazz, but with a little bit more postseason success. Yeah. But like going into last year, we all knew the jazz weren't going to win the title and it was just kind of a matter of how long that core is going to stay together. And like, they need to, like they needed to somehow pull off a KD trade. They need to pull off, some sort of trade, I think, where they're adding 
a piece, you know, once they're able to trade DeAndre Ayton where they're adding a player who's like a true third member of like a big three with Paul and, and Booker for them to have a chance. Portland Trailblazers, 27-win team last season. Uh, they were without Damian Lillard for most of that season. Uh, with Dame back, uh, I, I was going to say a revamped roster, but uh, yeah, a vamped roster. But they did make some additions. I'm not sure how we feel about it. Uh, 39 and a half is the number for the Blazers. I'm going under. I'm going under reluctantly. I want this to work. The Blazers are, are kind of like a Pelicans team for me. Where like I, I, I like Damian Lillard. I, I want them to break through. I don't think they did quite enough. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a math thing for me. Like they're I think you and I would agree on like who the top eight teams are in the West. And it doesn't include the Blazers or the Lakers or the Kings. Yet those three teams, two of those three teams will get into the play in. But I just think you're you, those other eight teams are so good, those wins have to come from somewhere. And the Blazers are going to be underdogs, like, a lot of the time. Like, every time they play the Mavs or the Grizzlies or the Nuggets or the Pelicans, like, all those teams, they're going to be the underdog. And the days when just having Damian Lillard lifted you to, like, being a top-five offense, I think those days are, are over. I think the league's just too good now. And, you know, it's kind of – it's kind of sad, but I really think it would just be best for everyone if they kind of moved on and just did a full-on rebuild. But yep. it doesn't seem like that's going to – they're basically Washington Wizards West at this point. Yeah, but I, I think Lillard, you know, would be more impactful somewhere else. Like, I – you know, obviously yeah. for Portland fans, it's like I'm not rooting for that to be broken up. But, like, the idea of Damian Lillard still at the end of his prime, like going somewhere and, and making a major impact, and similar to the way that Chris Paul has – in Phoenix. And, you know, Chris Paul is what, like seven years older than Lillard. So he still has plenty of time to have that kind of role late in his career. But yeah, I mean, on one hand, you appreciate the loyalty on the other. It's like, it would be, it would almost be better for the league for him to go somewhere else and, you know, kind of, kind of raise the stakes for another contender. He's definitely made the conscious decision that staying on the supermax with the Blazers is preferable to going to another team and chasing a ring because right he can't do both like there's just there's no way that they could trade him into a situation where he's a part of a contender because of how big that contract is right exactly all right the spurs 34 wins last year 22 and a half is the number for san antonio that is that's lower than okc and it's lower than houston um, so I, I think it, that kind of sets the table for what the expectations are here for San Antonio, but uh, I see you're going over, I'm going under, I, I think we're going to see the Spurs. Uh, they won't be as blatant about it as some other teams, but I, I think they're going to make sure that they're, uh, they're at least aligned for a chance at Wembenyama. I just, I don't think they have to do anything. <laughs> like they don't have to sit anyone out ever and they can be in line for them. <laughs> they could just play. The, the players on their roster are mediocre enough for them to have a bottom three record. I just think the line's just too low. Well, like, l- let me let me ask you this because you know there was that quote. I, th- I think Woj or Shams tweeted it out after the first Wembenyama Henderson game on Tuesday, 
And he said, you know, I, I talked to an executive who said that this is going to set off, you know, a tanking war like we've never seen before. Like, <laughs> do you do you really believe that? Like, do you do you really think that we're going to see OKC, you know, go to extreme lengths and win like 12 games? Like, you know, because if San Antonio is going over this number and they're going to win 23, 24 games, like, is that enough to get you in the bottom three? Like the last couple of years, maybe it has been. But like, if if we're going to see teams like truly, truly go in the tank and try to get in that bottom three. Like, I don't know if you can win 24 games like that might this year, that might be like the sixth worst record. Well, that's why I said, I, I wouldn't bet any of these, these bottom four West teams um, in either direction. Like there will, it will be an extreme tank off. I just don't know where that line is. Like, yeah. you know, last year, the Rockets had the worst record with 20 wins. Um, like the fun last year's Thunder team won 24 games, even with just all their usual tanking. Um, I, I agree, it's going to be very competitive. Uh, I just don't, I don't know mm. where that line is, you know, like it, it could be because it's, it's what the bottom, bottom three. You, you want to be in the bottom three, right? Well, yeah, so that's what I'm looking at right now. I have the odds up, and I, I'm going to be really interested to see how much teams care about getting in the bottom three versus finishing fourth or fifth or sixth bottom three have the same odds. It's 14% chance fourth, 12.5% chance fifth worst record, 10.5 sixth worst record, 9%. And it, you know, it kind of increases about that same rate uh, as you go along. So like, you know, I'm sure teams are doing the math of the probability and all that. And obviously it's better to be in the bottom three, but like how hard are teams going to try to, to get those bottom three odds? Because you know, like that. My first thought when I heard that quote, you know, about teams racing to the bottom is like, it doesn't mean the same as it used to. You know, like, it, it, is there really going to be that much right. of a payoff? Like, this is going to be the first, I think, real public test of this NBA, you know, odd smoothing system to 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 curb tanking. And you know, based on that quote, it seems like teams are going to go for it anyway. But I I do wonder, like, mathematically, is it even worth it to try to truly be the worst team? And can you picture? Popovich's team in his final season being the team that goes just over the top and is start is resting players of like Doug McDermott's caliber only to get the fifth, the fourth pick or something you know like I just I can't really see that they the Spurs ever since the Kawhi trade the Spurs have kind of gone about things a certain way and for them to aggressively get to 20 wins, 19 wins that just would kind of go against everything they've done to this point. It would, unless, unless it's like a, like a clean handoff, you know, for Popovich to like the next era, like his, his final gift is like being willing to tank his last season <laughs> to hand it off to, to Wembenyama or whatever. But like, again, I could see this happening 10 or 20 years ago when you, when you, if you're the worst team, you felt a lot better about getting the number right. one pick. Like to me, I don't think it's worth doing that knowing that you have the same odds as the two teams that are right next to you in the standings. Like it just, it wouldn't, to me, it wouldn't feel as fulfilling for, for that team. Like there's, there's not a, there's not a promise at the end of it. And they don't have, like, it's a different thing for the Spurs to tank and for the jazz to tank. Like the jazz have to bench several players for, you know, dozens of games for them to properly tank the Spurs arguably you don't have to bench anyone like i mean maybe Jakob Pertl is the guy you're benching because he's the only rim protector you have but 
Like, I think they can play Devin Vassell and Kelvin Johnson as many games as yeah. those guys can handle and still finish with a bottom three record. I'm a little worried that, that I, I grabbed Pirtle in, in the stake auction, but um, hope, hoping to maybe try to sell high on him at some point in the season. Uh, all right, let's fly through these last two. The Kings and the Jazz. The Kings, 30 wins last year, 33 and a half is the number. Um, I think I've always gone under on the Kings out of principle. It doesn't matter what the number is. Uh, more often than not, that has been the smart bet. Uh, I'm a little surprised here that you're going over this, this number just a bit too low for you. It's just a really tough juxtaposition of, I don't think this is that good of a roster. Like I think people are overrating it. Like you, any podcast I listen to people are weirdly excited for this Kings yeah, team. I don't get it. I'm not excited at all for them. Um, but like I said, with the Timberwolves, this is, as desperate of a team for regular season wins as you can find. And, you know, every time they play the jazz, the Spurs, the thunder, uh, the Rockets in the final two months of the season, they should be able to get wins. Right. So I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't buy them as this plucky like group of guys that are going to be fun to watch, but I just, think they're so desperate to win that i would go slightly over here i I love that logic of like they're they'll just go over just by virtue of beating all the teams that are not trying to win but you you might very well be right i mean they should go they should probably go like undefeated against utah houston san antonio uh all those teams i'm trying to scroll through the schedule and see um oh they do play the spurs in late april um and the other thing too is that they have two games against the jazz in march by the way um there's going to be like another team or two that were not earmarking as a tanking team that something is going to go wrong much like Portland right. last year. Like nobody was talking about Portland, you know, potentially, you know, trying to get a lottery pick and get someone like shade and sharp, but there's going to be a team that either gets off to a bad start or, you know, it's depending heavily on one player. That guy goes down. Um, I mean, there's, there's already a couple of kind of candidates that you could, you could pick out. I think like Washington, Charlotte, you know, those are teams that I, I think they're in wait and see mode. And like, if things look really bad after 20 games, you could see a full teardown coming. So uh, there's, there's gonna, it's gonna be more than just three or four teams, I think, that find themselves in the sweepstakes. But back to the Kings, I, I'm with you on this roster. It's, it's fine. It's not as bad as some Kings rosters of the past. But uh, as has been the case for most of the last 15 years, they have really no bench at all. Uh, you know, we, we don't really know if Davion Mitchell is gonna be any good. Matthew Delavadova is currently the third point guard. Uh, you know, you bring in Malik Monk great. It always felt like he was going to be a king at some point. That destiny has been fulfilled. Uh, kind of cool to reunite him with Jaron Fox, but you know, it's still a team that like your seventh man is Terrence Davis. Your eighth man is Casey Akpala. You know, like I just, I don't know. I, I think it's a team that is somewhat fun on paper. And I think Keegan Murray is, is going to raise this team's floor a decent amount, but ultimately, you know, when you, when you start to do the math and look at all the teams in the West, I just, I don't know. I think they, I think they maybe get to like 30, 31, but I don't, I don't think this is going to be the season that, that some Kings fans think it will be. <laughs> I I want them to get the 10 seed just to, just to see the sort of spectacle of that playing game, but Kings Lakers I mean, playing game get... would be the saddest outcome. Oh, I, I would love that so much. I mean, I, I think the Blazers are a candidate to be another stealth tanker for back-to-back seasons. Yeah. Like, you know, We'll see how healthy Lillard is in the second half. But, I mean, Kings, Kings, Lakers, 9-10 would just be glorious. Right. 
the final thing we'll say about tanking, because we've talked about this a ton, is I think I think this is an easier sell job if you're a team like Portland uh, to tank. You know, whereas in years past, it's like, all right, we're tanking. We got we got to get this home green kid out of Gonzaga. You know, and it's like if you're Damian Lillard, you're like, what? Like, really? This this is the guy? But I I would imagine that you know everybody's watching Wembenyama. Oh, yeah. you know, we saw LeBron already oh, yeah. talk about him. Like these dudes, I, he's going to be an instant impact guy, right? Like I think I think you could sell. Like if if like if you Damian Lillard by all accounts is a reasonable person, and if they, if they're ten games under five hundred at the All Star break, and they say, look, man, it would be you know much more beneficial for us to tank and try to get this dude. Like I think Damian Lillard would look you know the GM in the eyes and be like, yeah, you're right. I would love to play with this guy next year. Yeah, I mean, he's a competitor, so I mean, I think it would be a bit tougher conversation than than just that, but it's. You're 100% right. I, I guarantee you almost every player in the league has seen Wembenyama highlights from last night already, like less than 24 hours later. Oh, yeah. Or, no question. Yeah. All right, let's finish out on the Jazz. Uh, we'll, we'll go out with a whimper here. Uh, 49 wins last year, 24 and a half is the number. I'm going under. I, I have. They've made it very clear. You know, there, there's no in-between here, like with the Spurs, where you, know, you can kind of see them trying to win as many games as they can out of, out of respect for pop or whatever. Uh, the jazz have, have made their objective quite clear. Yeah, this is going to be um, the most sort of organizational uh, alignment on uh, terribleness that there is, I think in the West uh, it's, it's kind of a sucker, like the fact that they still have these veterans on the roster, it's sort of, um, you know, people look at that and it's like, well, look at all these good, like, rotation players. Like, they, they're not going to lose less than 25 games or whatever. Like, mm. those players are not going to play barely at all for this team. Um, they're going to put some of them on ice, like, trade them at the deadline. Danny Ainge is just not going to risk this team not having a bottom three record. It's just way too important to this whole process that he's going through. Yeah. I, I think, you know, they're, they're a team that for sure is going to get into that bottom three. I think they're going to, they're going to find a way no matter what. And again, nothing is guaranteed, but um, you know, even if you end up with, with the number two pick, I, I think you're, you're still pretty happy with that. I mean, um, yep. let's, let's, let's close on that. We'll, we'll do a couple minutes on, on Wembenyama and, and Scoot Henderson if Wembenyama wasn't in this class, I mean, Scoot Henderson is is easily the number one pick, right? And I think he's one of the what one of the guards I think that we would have been most excited about over the last decade coming into the draft. Am, am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, I mean, I think he he seems like uh, you think he's like a John Wall caliber prospect. I would say there's a chance that he might be a little better. I mean, we need to see a little more on, you know, the, the shooting, I guess, but like, I mean, I'm, John Wall was not I'm a good shooter. Talking, I'm definitely talking about like, you know, pre-draft prospect. Like, yeah, right. Um, right. I mean, John Wall was a big deal. And I, I, I do think he was helped by playing on that insane Kentucky team and just getting a ton of exposure. I mean, he was a big high school prospect as well. Um, he, he had better size than Henderson. I mean, he's a good two inches taller. Um, although Henderson looks, he looks taller than six, two. I know that's where he's listed at. Um, I don't know. Like, so who, who play, are the cops? He plays bigger. He plays bigger than six two. Um, yeah, 
My the the one I felt the best about was like just sort of shades of Baron Davis. Um and then I started thinking about Baron Davis and just how crazy of a skill set athleticism combo he had yep. uh at, at his size. But um yeah, I mean I think you know John Wall, Kyrie Irving, like not really remotely close to either of those guys from a, a game standpoint, but that caliber of guard prospect heading into the like Markel Fultz caliber. I mean, yeah, if you want to kind of look at like the, the low end of the spectrum, but um, so that's that's the second pick in the draft is a guy that would go right. first in most drafts. It's easy to say now, I think he's a better prospect than Markel Fultz. And you and I were in the weeds on that draft. Like we were, you know, that was a Josh Jackson draft. We all remember that. I wasn't as high on Marco Fultz because I, there was a, there was a guy, (laughs) there was a guy called Josh Jackson. Um, But like, there were people that thought Marco Fultz was, you know, a a blue chip number one caliber guy. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, I think he's, the, the toughest thing about evaluating Henderson as a prospect is just realizing how much development there still is. Like he's not even remotely close to like a finished product. So exactly. coming up with comps on him, it's just really tough because we know he's just going to get way better mm-hmm. over the next year. And then he's going to get way better again, like sophomore, right. third year in the NBA, like that type of stuff. So, who knows where it goes from here, but I mean, he's, he's absolutely a, a great consolation prize. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't pin down one really good comp for him. I, I, he's the rare player where I'm, I'm okay with a, a lot of the like shades of this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy, like, like you mentioned a lot of the names, you know, John wall for sure comes to mind. Um, I mean, he doesn't quite have the Kyrie handle, but he's shifty like Kyrie. Uh, I mean, I saw some Derek Rose comps. I, I don't think he's quite as like, sudden i guess of an athlete as derrick rose was you know just like the, the the power and the way that he changed directions was a little bit different but henderson is, is a lot smoother i think off the dribble like rose had a little bit of westbrook in him where you know the jump shot was just it was a little mechanical and it always came out a little bit flat i mean it went in a decent amount it's a better shooter than westbrook but i think henderson looks like he has a smoother release than that um stefan marbury was was a name that people threw out there i i think his game actually resembles Stefan Marbury's a lot. And I think Baron Davis is another good comp, like kind of a, like the, like a lot of the shots he was taking, they, they were, they were like early two thousands NBA point guard type of shots, but he's a better athlete than Stefan Marbury. So I think if I had to settle on one comp, it would be like a, a souped up version of Marbury. Marbury's got some of the more fun uh, highlight tape out yeah. there um, from his early years. I, do you, did you like my like realistic floor is, donovan mitchell um oh yeah yeah i think i mean i think that's fair and you also have to remember that mitchell was like a late lottery pick uh played a couple years in college i mean in terms of where they're at at their current age i mean he's way ahead of that right i just think like he 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 won't be worse than what like when we get you know four or five years into scoot henderson's career i don't think he'll be worse than where like mitchell is right now no no, 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 no. I don't think so either. Um, yeah, I mean, do you have any comments on Wembenyama? I, I almost feel like there's nothing to say. Like, it's I, I truly, I truly think he's the best prospect since LeBron, and I'm willing to say he's based on what I've seen the last two days. I mean, we're watching the second game; it just just finished up right now. I, I think he's a better prospect than LeBron. Like, he's he's eight inches <laughs> taller than LeBron. How can he not be? 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's the best if you're like we just don't know what his makeup is like because like I think that might be the most underrated aspect of LeBron the player is just his um, determination and like mental toughness and work ethic in the off season and all that stuff. His ability like, to market tequila. To- <laughs> you don't get to be you know you don't get to have the career he's had without just having one of the best work ethics of all time um and so we don't know about that aspect of things with Ben Benyana, but probably the best physical the best combination of physical tools and current skills for a prospect that I've ever seen <laughs> he's like a bigger Josh Jackson in a lot of ways <laughs> all right we, we got to cut it off we're running long on this do you we'll end on this do you know what team josh jackson currently plays for he is on an nba roster oh man i heard this recently and it slipped my mind you're gonna have to tell me he's on the toronto raptors i do not know that oh, he yeah. will be on the raptors like a week into the season but he is currently a member of the raptors man he's a perfect raptor they'll, they'll fix him <laughs> all right man thanks for doing this um we'll be back yeah we'll, we'll keep chatting uh, over these next couple of weeks before the season starts uh, looking forward to another auction draft with you tonight and i know you're traveling next week so enjoy that thanks man i'll uh, see you in the staff keeper auction here in a couple hours